of the Stampede Wrestling Show. With Bruce Hart on Powerhouse Radio. Powerhouse Radio. Johnny, how are you? Bruce, how you doing? Uh, great. Nice to be here. Uh, it's uh, always a pleasure. Uh, appreciate your coming on and being our guest host tonight. Uh, got a have a great show tonight. We've got some really uh, interesting and uh, fascinating guests, so I'll, I'll maybe let you uh, give us an overview or introduction to uh, well, some I, of the well, people we've got coming on tonight. Why not hear anything? Well, well, I, know. well I know. I know that uh, talking about Bruce Brody is uh, a real subject for anybody to talk, talk about. Yo, we got a. You still with me, Johnny? I am, man. We got a bad connection or something. I'm hearing crackling, popping, and. Yeah, likewise. Sounds like I'm in Twilight Zone here, but. But, yo, I'll let you do the intros here and then I'll jump in. Well, let me let me Bruce, let me keep uh let us keep talking just for a minute while we try to figure out this little uh echo problem we have and clear this up so everybody can hear us clearly or are is it getting better for you? Yeah, I can uh hear you better now. Uh I'm not sure what was hopefully it'll uh stay that well, way. Well, you know the cowboy lives far enough out that I'm the last tin can on a string from town from the telephone plant. So you know it's uh it's always a little trick with the phone lines. I'm not on a party line anymore. It's a single line, but it oh. is the last one on the line. <laughs> that sounds like maybe uh, got it and got it straightened out now. Uh, no more uh, gremlins or whatever on there. So, <laughs> well, we're 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 waiting for our callers to call on. So so I'm gonna. Uh, I'm going to ask you about a good Bruiser Brody story that you might have. Um, yeah, most of my stories are all secondhand. You know, I, uh, I, I unfortunately never met Frank uh, personally. I, uh, I was down in Amarillo just before he got started, I guess. But I knew his, uh, I knew all these cronies of his, like Terry Funk and. Uh, uh, what's his face? Stan Hansen, Bobby Duncan, and uh, a bunch of those guys, you know, and uh, a lot of the guys I uh, knew that worked with him in Japan, you know, they all, he was sort of an icon, or they, they had him on a sort of up on a pedestal, you know, as one of those one of a kind uh, trend setting uh, guys, you know, and uh, I. Uh, I never heard a bad word said about him uh, as far as his work. You know, I, you know, he was one of those guys who sort of, uh, you know, uh, sometimes it didn't didn't uh, please some of the promoters and stuff. But he he sort of was pretty, uh, you know, you know, did things his way. But uh, mo most of the boys, I've always. You know, I knew a lot of the guys who worked with him in uh, different territories, and 
they all seem to have a great deal of admiration for you know his work in the ring and he uh he was kind of uh you know one of a kind trendsetter type you know he he's always like one of the guys who you know pioneered that uh i don't know they call it hardcore or that kind of well you know, ass kicking you know, style yeah the 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 fight that he brought to the ring each and every night was always just that and the fans knew that you know he was coming to fight it was no he wasn't coming to laugh or you know hang out and sit on the top rope he was coming to fight and and as far as the boys i imagine uh any of the any of the guys especially of our era that were bookers or ended up being promoters they might have been roughed a little bit by frank but uh, uh all the boys in the dressing room he was he was one of us and and liked everybody in the dressing room and and uh um he was just one of our he was just one of us man if he was sitting here with us today you and i in a room we'd laugh and tell the same stories and have a great time <laughs> who are some of the guys that you'd compare him to johnny a uh uh just as far as his personality i've always been kind of intrigued you know whether he was sort of a bit like hansen or murdoch or terry or Abby or, or well, I, who, I think you know. I think he was some of all of those, but maybe a little more quiet, uh, which is sort of a funny thing to say. Um, but lots of times when when we rode together, it was just him and I. You know, it was just a two person trip, and and uh, he always stayed. You know, his room was sort of secluded. He didn't. You know, I mean, he he got along and did everything with everybody, but he was also he always also sort of had that quiet side too, and. And uh, very, very business savvy. Um, you know, again, you're talking to somebody that I had the privilege of meeting him at 18, and and uh, he sort of shaped the rest of my career by what he told me. And 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 I think that's how he he worked. You know, he he loved this business, and he really wanted to protect it and make it that fight in the ring. And uh, um, I mean, he I mean, he just he did that his entire life. Yeah, I, I, I can't say I've ever heard any. Uh, I've never heard any of the wrestlers ever say anything uh, but positive things about him. You know, I. Uh, I seem to be. Uh, you know, uh, there was there was a, a really uh, fertile uh, breeding grounds back in the seventies, I guess. Out of Texas, you know, I remember so many great workers. I don't know, they'd come out of Amarillo or uh, Fritz's territory or both, but it seemed to be just sort of a, a one after another of all these uh, really uh, exceptional, legendary workers that were coming up, like Murdoch and and Duncombe and Dusty and yourself and Ken and. Uh, you know, uh, Tito and DiBiase and Tully and uh, Youngblood and all those guys, you know, Gino Hernandez. And uh, I knew I had the pleasure of uh, meeting them, but they all had that certain sort of style. And they also had uh, a lot of pride and they respected and protected the business. Uh, but it was a really uh, golden age of... Uh, wrestlers from texas i remember in the 70s you know they uh they all seem to you know uh you know still still are spoken of in very uh respectful terms today you know that they sort of were uh 
the cutting edge of workers back in those days, you know, uh, seemed to be uh, like one after another, you know, maybe starting with Tori and Terry, they were sort of two of the, uh, you know, the guys who seemed to uh, inspire a lot of it. But, uh, but yeah, there was like a who's who list of really uh, great workers coming out of Texas back back then, you know, and, it's, um, and Brody was certainly uh, one of them, you know. But, I, but I'll have to, you know, I'm during the course of this uh, program, I hoping to uh, maybe learn a few things from either yourself or Larry Matisek, who's coming on, and Barbara and, and Stan or whoever, you know, because a lot, lot of uh, lot of things I'm looking forward to just learning about Brody and you know uh, kind of what kind of inspired him and what was his uh, you know how he launched his career and all those kinds of things because uh, you know, he was one of those really kind of iconic characters who uh, a lot of people uh, still worship today you know and. Um, uh, I'm looking forward to learning a, f- a few things about his uh, career and, and all that other, you know. You know, I, I think that um, uh, last year at the Hall of Fame when he was inducted, that, that I, I saw Stan say, and he said to the to the public that night, he said, you know, Frank was the brains of our operation, and to me, the two of them were the very first two real independent guys out there that's, that uh, worked in the business because they were sort of independent guys. They didn't, you know, they flew a little differently than everybody else in that time. And, and uh, um, uh, you know, maybe Abby was a little bit of the same. I, I, don't, I don't know Abby that well, but Abby might be a little bit of that way. Yeah, I, I've often wondered, you know, Abby, Abby seemed to be uh... – it, you know, he seemed to be intertwined with uh, them a bit, you know, and uh, Abby was <laughs> a character, too, you know, one of a kind as well, you know. He uh, danced to his own tune, and uh, he's one of those types that you either seem to, was either loved or hated, you know, type thing, you know. But, uh, but yeah, I've often wondered, I haven't spoke to Abby for a long time, you know, so I never I'd like to have gotten his perspectives on uh, on Brody and some of those guys, you know, because uh, he's often kind of uh, synonymous with uh, with Brody, if only because of his wild, crazy <laughs> bloodbaths and all the other kind of extreme type stuff, you know, but, uh, but yeah, there was a certain, they were like an art form in themselves, you know, those guys, they, uh, and often, uh, imitated, but never really duplicated. You know, I've seen a lot of other guys trying to copy Abby or Brody and, um, never quite, uh, you know, really, uh, did justice to it in my estimation, you know? Well, they're just the intensity like that. So hard to, to, uh, uh, I mean, it's, that intensity is sort of one of a kind, you know, it's sort of like a hurricane. They're all labeled with a different number. And those kind of guys like that, that, that worked in the ring and worked so hard and, 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 uh, again, brought the fight every night to the ring like that were, were special guys. Hey, Bruce, we got, uh, uh on the line now with us, uh, Barbara,
Robert Goodish, uh, a woman I've gotten to know a little bit over the last few years, and I'm going to tell you she's as special as uh, Frank was. Barbara, so nice to have you on tonight with Bruce Hart, and here's Johnny for you. Well, thank you. It's a real yeah, privilege to be on. Yeah, I'm uh, honored that you uh, uh, graced our program tonight, Barbara. I'm uh, a huge fan, and uh, I uh, I just like to uh, welcome you aboard, and uh, you know, thank you uh, for coming on. I'm uh, I'm just looking forward to uh, hearing some of the perspectives and all, and I. I'm delighted that Johnny, uh, you know, has seen fit to host this tonight and uh, that he knows you a bit. So, you know, that'll uh, make it that that much more uh, interesting for me. But thank you very much for coming on. It's uh, an honor. Well, I did get to meet your two brothers, Stu and uh, Ross, but I didn't get to meet you at the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame, and that was such an honor to meet so many people up there, too, and to reconnect with Johnny and his lovely wife and Stan and a host of other people. It was, it was, that was such an honor, too, just to, you know, for him to get that honor for the Professional Wrestling Hall of Fame this past May. Yeah, that, uh, I... Uh... I heard that was uh, very well done. You know, my brothers told me they, uh, you know, they were delighted to have met you. And I, I, uh, I might add, I had a chance to get uh, wrestle in New Zealand back in the '80s, so I got a familiar accent. <laughs> and okay. I, I, I had a. I was down there for that old. Uh, I'm not sure if you know him or not. That old Steve Rickard and. Uh, but yeah, I was down there with Harley Race and Ric Flair and uh, a bunch of them in '84. So, uh, but, but yeah, nice to hear a, a Kiwi voice. <laughs> I had yeah. uh, great memories. So, and Barbara, yeah, Steve Rickard, you know, Steve Rickard, that is a name, you know, from the past. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure if Steve's. Hopefully, he's still alive. I don't even know, you know. But he, he pretty decent old guy, you know. He. Uh, I think we did all these like Christchurch and Auckland and Wellington and uh, most of those main cities, but we were driving from one place to another and it seemed like a lot of winding mountain roads and stuff like that. And, but, and uh, only two lanes, yeah, only two lane, only one, two, two ways, one way there and one way back. And yeah, you I got remember behind that. Cars. Yeah, you got behind cars on those twirly roads and you could not pass. Oh, I remember Harley Race was getting, he doesn't like to, uh, you know, he's usually uh, going pedal to the metal, and he was <laughs> swearing and getting upset with the uh, sheep herders or whatever that he was calling them that were, you know, driving 20 miles an hour, and Harley was <laughs> getting uh, frustrated. But, yeah, I, I remember had a good time over there. It was uh, a very uh, interesting place, so, but... Anyway, I'll let, I'll let Johnny uh, kind of uh, direct traffic here. Well, okay. I, I, for, first off, i got to say, Barbara, how are you feeling? I know you made a trip to Texas and had a little spill. Are you feeling okay? <laughs> yeah, I have to say I took a bump for the team. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, from, I, Kay, I, from I, Kay and I, it happened so close. We wish we would have known we'd come got you and you could have rehabbed up here at the farm with us. 
I know. I was just so uh, so grateful that Stan just happened to be with me and Karen Merritt, who used to help Frank out a lot in Dallas. She was also up there. I think she gave an award to the Queen of the Ring or something at the show that night, and they came to the emergency room with me and looked after me and took me took me back to the hotel. And like I said, I had a dislocated shoulder and contusions all over my leg. And I thought to myself, okay, now, now what would Frank do? He would get on that plane the next day and get home. And I did. I don't know how I did it, but I made it home. <laughs> well, we're happy you did. I'm glad you're okay and, and uh, uh, just heal up and so we can see you again soon. Right, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to the, what, the 2015 shootout. Absolutely. Absolutely. In February, we all look forward to it down here. And, and uh, I'm trying to talk Bruce into coming down for one. He'd, he'd have a great time seeing a lot of the people that uh, that make the shootout. But I got to, uh, you know, he was Bruce was asking me, he never had the privilege of meeting Frank. And he was asking me, you know, a, a perspective of him. And, and I told him, I said, well, I sort of got to know him in a different way, because a lot of our interaction was just Frank and I in a car making a road trip here to there, from this place to that place, and those were our interactions unless we met at the airport or something. And and to me, around me, he was quiet and reserved. I mean, he was a big stature of a man, and everybody knew it that was in the room, but he was quiet and very well-spoken and very business-savvy, and and uh, for, for me anyway, just sort of told me the truth the way it was, and, and I always appreciated that. You see, the people he let into the inner sanction, that that was him. That was the real person. And as I've said before, that he created the wrestling persona and then he had his home. And he never mixed the both up. So when you got him in a car away from everybody, you saw the real person. And then his fans and everybody else... He was a real person, too, as Bruiser Brody, King Kong. That was also, but that was like just playing a wonderful role, but not forgetting who he was and not losing himself in the character, which a lot of people do regardless of what they do when they become in the public eye. So he kept himself as centered, got a place out in the country, five acres, so he could just come home and be, you know, father, husband, be himself, like when he was writing, like with you, he would be himself and have it, you know, just the regular. And he, I noticed by talking to a lot of people, he gave a lot of good advice to a lot of people. And, you know, the, some of the stories I've heard are quite remarkable stories where he has helped people make this, make life decisions that have really helped them in life. Hmm. Yeah, you know, er, earlier Bruce Bruce and I were talking before you came on that uh, there was sort of a band there from, I don't know, the, the the early 70s, maybe through the late 70s, where a lot of guys got started in this business. And, and I think much like Frank giving that great advice, he was given that great advice from, from the, uh, you know, from the Funks and from everybody in Amarillo that helped him guide and get him started and and i think that was something that just was actually part of this business it was sort of that the passing of the ride of 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 passing this knowledge from this generation on to the next and i think i think you know frank was a classic example of that of a guy that 
that passed that knowledge on like he was it was passed on to him when he started and 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 I know Bruce with the family his family and the size of it and all the guys all the brothers in the business he knows that as well coming from his dad right I mean that's <clears throat> that's a rite of passage that's just part of how it's done the, the right way I should say or the old fashioned Yeah that was that was an incredible uh group of wrestlers that came out of Texas in the uh, 70s you know you talk about all these guys that you know legends or uh, you know household names guys like the Funks and Murdoch and Rhodes and and Brody and Hanson and uh, Tito Santana Tito and DBRC and Tully Blanchard they they all uh, came out of that same and again I think it was because of the passing on and I you know I don't know uh, I don't know, Barbara, how much Frank, you know, talked about that or, or how that he got started in, or how that guidance was done, but I guarantee it was classic old guidance that started and pushed him along the way, I would I would imagine. I I do believe that what you're saying is correct. And I, and I know he also, you know, as time came by, he mentored a lot of the uh, younger wrestlers, too, that have, be, you know, come on to be quite good. I mean, I remember him talking about Terry Gordy and Hacksaw Higgins and several of these guys around about that same time. Oh, yeah, and those were... Was, uh, th- Terry Gordy was another one, you know, and uh, uh, and I, I don't know whether uh, Jay Youngblood, some of those guys, the yeah. Bon Erics, too, I think were... Very, uh, you know, uh, well influenced by uh, probably Frank, you know, guys like Kerry Von Erich and Kevin and uh, David, you know, they they all, you know, unfortunately had uh, short careers, some of them, unfortunately, but uh, I think they all seem to uh, come out in that era, you know, I would have to think that those guys are very well respected workers within the business guys like terry gordy and them you know so i'm sure uh, you know if those are uh probably uh credit to frank you know if they uh were around him you know and yeah i was always fascinated by those guys just you know i, I never got a chance to hook up with some of them but uh you know even today, you always hear guys talking very reverentially about those guys, you know, including Frank and Terry Gordy and uh, uh, the Gino Hernandez's and the Kerry Von Erichs and all like that. Right. So uh, like think, the golden age. The, yeah, I think, again, you know, it started, you know, I, you know, and, I, and Barbara's heard this story, so it's it's not that funny to her anymore. But, <laughs> you know, when I, I was just 18 years old, I had the privilege of meeting they told me to wait at the TV station. This guy by the name of Frank Goodish was going to come pick me up in a little white 240 or 260Z. And, and I said, well, how will I know it's him? And they said, well, you'll know when he gets out of the car. <laughs> and uh, this big old mountain of a man gets out of the car, and I come jumping out of the TV station to get in his car to ride with him that night. And that was our introduction. And, and uh, uh, you know, I, I honestly believe that it was the fact that Frank, every night, brought 100%. He brought a fight to the ring. The people in the crowd knew that was going to happen. didn't matter if he was fighting 10 men, 100 men, one guy in a tag team, if he was in a K, it didn't matter. They knew he was coming to fight. And here in Texas with the Funks and everybody else here, 
you had to come fight every night, or you'd you'd get lost in the mix. Oh, they had a they had a incredibly uh, you know kind of wild, unique style down in Texas. I remember the first time I was down there in like '72, and uh, and it it was uh, it was really uh, mayhem, you know, but. Uh, very entertaining. They had, uh, you know, Terry and Dory Senior was still alive then, and and uh, Murdoch and uh, I'm not sure. I think Stan was just breaking in then, but they they had a you know real balls to the wall style, and I wasn't sure if that was uh, who who started that style, but it was really uh, you know it's about 20 years ahead of its time, you know, and. Uh, I later on saw ECW to a degree copying it, but uh, didn't really duplicate it either, you know. But it was some really unique characters. I was going to ask you, Johnny and Barbara, who, who started Frank in the business? How did he get, uh, who was his mentors, or who were the people that kind of uh, launched him down there with it? Did he start in Dallas, or was it Amarillo, or uh, where did he kind of get his feet wet? And... I think it was Fritz, wasn't it, Johnny? Well, I think the introductions may have started in Dallas, but um, yeah. it wasn't him and Stan roomed at uh, at the at the school in West Kenya. Te- yeah, West Texas State. At West Texas State, and and I think that's really where a lot of the the first introductions got made and he probably started in Amarillo just because of that's where he was going to school was up in that part yeah, of the state. Yeah, I remember being in Canyon just out, you know, just outside of Amarillo there the Yeah, between Texas Amarillo state. and Lubbock, it's on yeah. the highway between Amarillo and Lubbock and and I imagine yeah. he started but a lot of those guys during that time would go back and forth for Fritz and and the Funks and and uh um so I'm sure that and you know, and even the Blanchards, and for Paul Bosch in Houston, I'm sure the right. entire state got to see him when he started. Uh, um, I met him in '77, and and uh, um, he was he was full of life, and and again at that time uh, he was he brought the fight to the ring, and those people knew it, and and everybody in the back sort of kept an eye on it because they wanted to see what he was going to do. And and that was, you know, I mean, Bruce, you know that when when somebody comes like that to an arena, the, you know, when those, everybody goes out and watches, that's, you know, you need to sort of figure out what he's doing. And and he was the guy every night that that people went and watched. Yeah, there, the there wasn't an, there wasn't enough of those guys. You know, I remember a few of them, like uh, another guy, and I heard he had some influence on Frank was old King Curtis. I don't know whether he yes. met him. He, he was up here uh, in the 70s, too old Curtis, but he was one of those kind of, you know, larger-than-life kind of uh, unique-type personalities in and out of the ring. And, uh, and, uh, but, yeah, it's funny you mentioned some of those names because quite a few of them started up here back way back in the 50s for my dad, like Blanchard and, uh, and Fritz and... Uh, a few of those other old Texas guys. My dad seemed to Frankie Murdoch, who was uh, I think Dick's father, and uh, yeah. a bunch of those old. Uh, and they're all pretty uh, <laughs> colorful characters in and out of the ring too. But uh, I remember uh, when I was a real little kid meeting 
a lot of those people they had very uh, kind of magnetic personalities and or you know kind of rich characters you know so I can only imagine Frank was probably along those lines because all all those people are sort of iconic you know some of the names you've been mentioning you know everyone seems to remember them they had really kind of you know vibrant personalities and a lot of character and a lot of passion and all that that type of thing you know and then you have to remember he didn't get into wrestling straight out of college because he got picked up by the uh, Washington Redskins and got cut and then he went to several se- semi-pro teams which ended up I think he was in Canada at some point he was in Oh Mexico yeah I was, I was told later on that he played up in Edmonton for the yes, Eskimos That's my, right my, my dad was actually uh my dad played for the Eskimos too he sort of okay. he, he was big on all these football players. He had a whole bunch of them that including guys like Kaniski and Joe Blanchard and uh, Wilbur Snyder and all these guys were all sort of football player types that my dad started. But I remember for the longest time my dad was uh he was always trying to get uh, Frank up here, usually through Dory or Terry or whatever and um he he had a whole bunch of these Amarillo types up here, like Cyclone Negro and Larry Lane and all that, but never quite came off. I think uh, Frank's career took off somewhere around that time, and he, I think, was uh, making more money elsewhere than he could make up here. So, but uh, but I remember my dad was, uh, and my dad had a big thing. He was really sort of uh, big on. Okay. Big wrestlers. He always wanted, you know, the big guys like the Abdullahs and the King Curtises and that type of thing. So, but I, I, I remember for the longest time, my dad was always uh, seeking to get Bertie uh, Bertie to impersonate. But yeah, I, I don't. I remember my dad was a big fan. And he always uh, and. It uh, meant a lot to him that uh, Frank, I guess, had played for the Eskimos because my dad was right. passionate. I think he played for the Eskimos himself in '38, '39, way back when. You know, so uh, it was kind of a big uh, one more thing. He he loved the football players. You know, he always had a you know sort of a, a passion for them. That was one one more thing. If a guy was a football player, then my dad was you know that much more inspired to have them up here or whatever. You right. Know. And then I but, think he ended up playing for the San Antonio Toro, and I think uh, Ivan Putski was also playing for oh, yeah, that yeah. team. And, and I think that's how it all came into the wrestling. Then he went into journalism. He was a sports, uh, sports writer at the uh, San Antonio Express News in those days, and he did it in Dallas, too. So in between all that, somehow the wrestling business, with all the connections he knew, like you said, through football and that, and I think he was wondering what he was going to do because trying to be a, a sports writer, his uh, they would always make jokes that his fingers were too big for the keys to type in those days. So he was, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I'm intrigued just as you're talking about him uh sitting over a typewriter, you know, and back right. then they didn't have the uh, automatic keyboards or anything. Right. You know? <laughs> it was just boom, boom. And yeah, he, he couldn't get he couldn't get the copyright out because his fingers were too big, so he would have I, I would imagine him would have been intimidating to get some of these uh, 
you know, football players or whatever that are about half his size. And, you know, most sports writers are like little skinny, you know, paunchy guys with cigarette in one hand and uh, a microphone in the other, and maybe five foot five and one hundred thirty pounds. Yeah, because I remember him. Yeah, I remember him telling me once that it got to the point where you know he was getting to that age. He said, "Well." what career can I go in? The sports writing wasn't panning out. The football was finished. He was already finished with the football. And it came down to two. He said, a policeman or a wrestler? And he figured out wrestler was the best bet to make a little bit more money than a policeman. <laughs> yeah, well, he, would have been, he would have been intimidating at either spot, I guarantee. He yeah. would have got the job done. <laughs> Hey, hey, while we're taking just a a pause right here, and i got to tell everybody you're listening to Heartbeat Radio with Bruce Hart on Powerhouse Radio, and tonight our special guest, Barbara Goodish, Mrs. Bruiser Brody, and uh, I'm your guest host, Johnny Mantell, and i got Larry Matizak on the phone with us. We're going to bring on at this time to uh, join the fray. Larry, how are you tonight? Hey, I'm doing great, and good to talk to you, Johnny, and Barbara, of course, we just talked a couple days ago. I hope you're feeling well. Everything okay, Barbara? Yep, hanging in there, my boy. Okay, glad to see that, and good talking to everybody, and Bruce, and geez, you were talking about the uh, the Frank Goodish stories. Of course, I knew him a lot from St. Louis, obviously, when he came here, and was a major town for him when he hit here in 1978, but really the big thing, and, and I guess uh, I'll, I'll brag about Barbara right now, is when we did the book Brody for ECW Press out of Toronto, uh, which has been really the best-selling, one of the best-selling books they've ever published at this point. Barbara and I were co-writers on it. And uh, Barbara turned out to be what a tale teller she is. I mean, she was terrific. And uh, what we did basically was I'd do a chapter about the wrestling, and then Barbara do a chapter about how she met Frank and, and just fascinating stuff about what happened in Australia and, and her getting up here and coming to the States. And and she comes to the stable. Well, I'll let her tell the story, but, but they're just fascinating things, how she got to meet Frank Goodish, how she got to know Frank Goodish, and showing people that there's a lot more to professional wrestlers than any of them ever realized, and uh, just what great stuff. And when you talked about the journalism, by the way, in the picture in the book, one of the pictures we have in the book, and I think Barbara, you found it in your files at home, right. is a picture of Frank Goodish at a typewriter typing for the San Antonio newspaper. And uh, it's, it's fascinating because he's got his hair cut short, and he's got a coat, and, he's got a shirt and tie on. I don't think he had the coat on. To get the sport coat off, he had the shirt and tie, and there he is typing. He doesn't look like your stereotypical sports writer, I can assure you that. Even then, he was a little bit of Bruiser Brody, I think. Yeah, I don't think I've ever seen a picture of Frank without the beard and the long hair. So I, <laughs> well, you got to get you a copy of the book. But Barbara, you, Barbara did a great job, and uh, and I, I praise her here. And uh, I think at first, and jump on me if I'm wrong here, Barbara, you were a little hesitant to do it. And yes. when we talked about doing the book, and what I kind of threw out was there are so many stories about this man, and a lot of them are baloney. A lot of them have been twisted far beyond the recognition of the truth. A lot of them don't give him credit that he deserves. The only way people will find out the truth, the only way that people will see what Frank Goodish was as Bruiser Brody and as a father, as a, as a husband, is if you help write it. And Barbara just uh, opened up and relaxed, and you did a great job, kiddo. I was proud of you. Well, thank you, because my son, I had gone to visit uh, my son, Jeff, or his son, 
in Austin. It was just when the Internet was just getting on, and I didn't have a computer or anything back then. I had to get a computer to write the book. And uh, he, he said, uh, he said, type in Bruiser Brody. And I said, why? He said, just just type it in you know, the search. Well, I typed it in, and I, I guess you'd say I was naive, and, and I was shocked when I started reading some of the things that were on the Internet about him. And, I mean, so much of it was so far from the truth, and that's, that's at the same time that Larry was asking me about the book. And I, that was what really made it with Larry, who Frank trusted, with me, who knew the story beyond the man, and it it was the truth. And then there's other books out there, and there's like you said, Larry. I like that word, baloney. And uh, I figured, like you said, Larry, that the two people that knew the ultimate truth was myself and was Larry. There was few, three of the people that Frank trusted are on the show tonight. There was a few more, the Funks, and there's a few more too. But Larry, yourself, Stan, and Johnny. And as you said... You got into his inner circle, and you were there because he trusted you, and he knew that you trusted him. So thanks, Larry. I'm so good. And it was very good for me to write a lot of this stuff because this is a lot of stuff that what happened after Frank left us was all of a sudden the life that I knew it was just gone. And one day it was gone. And this is I had lived so much off the wrestling business for so many years, and it was gone, except for the few people that kept in touch with me. There was nobody, because in an ordinary life, you can't. It's like I feel like wrestling is like a family, because you can open up, you can talk honestly, and a lot of the people out there don't really understand what a family it is. It is, and uh, and, and again, uh, through Frank, and it's funny, I feel sad that I didn't get to see Johnny Mantell more. And then Stan Hansen. Uh, God, what a what the things I've learned about Stan and and the fine man that he has been since Frank's passing for Jeffrey, for Barbara. Uh, people don't appreciate that. I, I mean, a tremendous wrestler. Yeah, yeah. I put him in. He, you're in the top fifty of my fifty all-time greatest wrestlers, Stan, in my book. So, I, so that that was good. But uh, they don't realize the things that Stan Hansen did that that were so human and that, that people don't give wrestlers and people in this business credit for and uh, you hang together you do what you can to help as much as you can but that was a terrible time for barbara and she got through it and i know it was hard for her to write parts of the book and when she opened up her, her files to us and dug into her files probably things that you didn't even know you had what, what a right. great bunch of pictures some of the pictures she gave us in in the Brody book, uh, where here's Frank rolling around on the floor with Jeffrey pulling his hair, and they're having a wrestling match. And there's one Christmas picture where he'd just come, I think, from Dallas or somewhere, and he must have worked with Kamala or or somebody because you know the the, the scars are all fresh. And there he is in front of a Christmas tree, a first Christmas tree with Jeffrey and Barbara, and his head's just you know ready to go, and uh, just fascinating stuff when you see it. But at least this way people got a chance to hear the truth of what happened and we tried not to to hide anything i mean there were some things that were controversial we talked about him but i was lucky here in st louis because another guy that he did trust 
was my old boss, the legendary promoter Sam Muchnick. And, of course, part of that was he came in, he shook Sam's hand, and Sam paid him every dime he said he'd ever pay him. And I can remember when Barbara was pregnant, and that night we had a wrestling card in St. Louis. I came to the office, and our office was, of course, in typical wrestling fashion in a hotel. I came in, and the gal on the desk said, you got to get a hold of Frank when he gets here. His wife's having the baby now. Oh, my God. You know, so because he was on his way driving in from Kansas City at the time. I get upstairs. I tell Sam. Just about that time, I guess Frank got in, in there. Uh, he stopped at the front desk. The gal told him, you know, your wife's having the baby. You, you should get back. He's coming upstairs to tell Sam, hey, I can't wrestle tonight. You know, Barbara's having the baby. When he came into the door, when he came into the office, the first thing Sam Muchnick said to him was, what are you doing here? Why aren't you at the airport? Your wife's having a baby. Would you go? As opposed to some promoters who would said, "Hey, can't you work the spot? After all, you're in the fourth match. You know, you can get up there after. You can get down to. You can get home after the show, can't you?" Sam said, "What are you doing here?" And I think that cemented their relationship too, and just their, his whole relationship with St. Louis. So he did commercials here. Uh, we did some TV spots for this this crazy uh, TV guy, Steve Mizzarini, where Steve Mizzarini's riding around on roller skates and. Frank Brody's picking him up over his head, and just all these silly spots. We did things at the racetrack, the horse racetrack, where Frank put on the gear, and he's, he's pulling the little the little carts that the horse racers use just to get in shape for a match. We had it that we had a match at the uh, racetrack once with him, and I think it was Ox Baker, and he was getting in shape for that. But all these little things we did, and we threw out these ideas. We could just sit there and bounce ideas. Hey, well, let's try it. I'll talk to somebody, and it all fell together. So for me, for us, for St. Louis, and then eventually for the we started working some independent shows around here when I was with Vince McMahon in the 80s, and Frank was the ultimate outlaw, uh, along with certain people like Mr. Hansen. Uh, it, it really cemented a very special relationship. I, I miss him terribly, as I know Barbara does, and I can't say enough about what she did in helping write that book and being part of writing that book. Without her, it, it's not a book. Hmm. I was going to ask you guys, uh, do you think Frank would have ever evolved into working for WWF? Or I, I've often been asked that question. You know, uh, That was worth writing a chapter in the book, trying to do that one. Stan could, I mean, some people could all chime in on this. I, I heard various stories. I think in my gut, if the money were right and the deal was right, he could have gone for a shot with Hogan. But yeah, I often I often wondered because I, you know, just from an outsider perspective, it seemed like it would have been a, a match made in heaven or hell. Maybe both. But you got to yeah. remember, he had his deal with with Baba and with Japan back then, so he wasn't going to jeopardize that unless he had a really definite shot, a really definite agreement with Vince McMahon. But correct me again if I'm wrong, Barbara. When he first got his real big-time jump after Dallas with, with Fritz and the people down there and then a little bit in Mid-South, he went to New York, and he went as Frank Goodish, and the name Bruiser Brody was given to him by none other than Vince McMahon Sr. Oh, is that right? And the matches that he worked, the first tapes I saw of Bruiser Brody were matches between Bruiser Brody and Bruno San Martino. And correct me if I'm wrong, but didn't Vince Sr. call pretty often and have a relationship with Frank? Oh yes, I mean he was he was on the few people that called. The senior called 
a lot of times at the house, they, whatever it was, they did have some relationship, but of course when the senior passed on, that kind of all faded because, no, they were working something out. There, there was going to be some business deal between the two just before because there was just too much, as I said, because they would take all the messages, and, of course, this was before answering machines and cell phones and all this modern technology we have today. Barbara so, was the booker. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was the booker and the traveler and the, the receptionist and you name it. And so I would take... I mean, I would take all the telephone calls, and uh, Senior was one person that did call a lot to the house. And so yeah, there was I a relationship that. there, yeah. I'm fascinated. I never even knew that was the evolution of the name Bruiser Brodier. Well, we used, you know, we booked him here as King Kong, and the reason I we did that here, of course, we had Dick the Bruiser in St. Louis, so yeah, well, that'd be two Bruisers. So when we knew we were bringing Brody in. I had a picture that Vince McMahon Sr. had done when Frank was up in New York where he was next to the a picture of the statue. Uh, the Empire State Building was a Fay Ray climbing the building with the gorilla oh, yeah. there, the movie. And I thought, man, that looks pretty good. What if we could call him King Kong Brody? So the typical I went to Sat with Sam. I said, what do you think of this idea? And he started chuckling. He said, that's a pretty good idea. See what he thinks. And so when he got in town uh, to work his first uh, house show for us, I asked him, and he just kind of laughed his Call me anything you want, as long as they pay me. <laughs> that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Yeah. So we started, we booked him as King Kong Brody at that point. So confusing everybody, of course, in the entire wrestling business. Well, who's King Kong Brody? Is he any relation to Bruiser Brody? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> that boy, first drop kick he hit, boy, that made everybody stand up. When he worked TV and a 300-pound man threw that first drop kick in there, and, of course, I was doing the commentary on wrestling at the chase, and I – went crazy. Oh my God, look at that drop kick. And the people saw that. He was over like a million bucks. Anything from yeah. there. Yeah. And he'd old. drop it and he'd drop it right on your chin. And and I gotta chime in, you know, talking about would he have gone to work and, and work for Vince and and I think my personal self, I think like you said, if the money was right, right. for sure he was going to. I see it as a relationship that probably would have ran for a little while, and then they had a little bit of an argument, and then they'd run for a little while just because Frank was going to do it his way. You know, uh, yep. uh, uh, I know with me during the, er- the the early Dallas years, '82 to '86, when we were here in Dallas, and my brother was a booker during about a four-year span there. Anytime Frank saw me at an airport or we met someplace to ride to a town, he would first give me sort of the the Catholic cross and sort of devil me of course my brother Kenny was a booker so he wanted to make sure that none of the booker side was with him that day when I was with him for our trip and it was always sort of a joke because him and my brother didn't get along very well because of course Kenny would have to bring bad news and then Frank would have to give other bad news and then there'd <laughs> be some kind of argument but that was part of that business I mean uh, Frank you know that Bruce you know that that was part of the business at that time and oh and yeah Frank, I, I, and Frank was strong-willed he he did what he thought was best. He, I always felt like that was all part did, of the deal. Yeah, he, he did what like, he thought was. Yeah, he did what he thought was best for business and for Frank, and that's what he did night in and night out. And and so he may have roughed some guys wrong. And with Vince, you know, I'm sure with Vince it would probably have been on and off. But there was no yeah, way. Could, of, there's no. There's no way they couldn't have used him because of his talent. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah no, I, no. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. I know I booked up here, and uh, over the years, you'd have a few guys that kind of 
they were pretty uh, hard set in their ways, like David Schultz and Bad News Allen and some of them. And uh, but yeah, you could never let it get too personal. You sort of sort of uh, about diplomacy. Somehow you try to arrive at some happy medium, you know. But but, uh, but yeah, and I, I always heard Frank was a businessman, though. You know, he wasn't sort of uh, like some guys were just sort of was about ego and, uh, you know, kind of one-upmanship and all. But I always heard that Frank was essentially a businessman, you know, and uh, if you appreciated that, then you could do business with him. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm sure that was probably the case. Yeah, yeah it happens certainly here I mean, in St. Louis, too. Uh, we didn't ask him to do many jobs because our main event guys didn't get asked to do many. I mean, unless they were against somebody else or against the world champion. But he did it twice for Harley Race when Harley had the belt. No problem at all. And he did one for Ted DiBiase, which DiBiase had already done for him. And I still remember that night, uh, I think I was in the I guess I was in the room with DiBiase, and Frank came in and he says, I just want you to know, kid, I'd only do this for you. And DiBiase, kind of, his eyes got kind of big. Oh, okay. Yeah, I understand, Frank. I understand. But uh, there was never a problem like that. And... Uh, as far as him working with, with Hogan eventually, they'd eaten everybody up. And you guys remember this, but you're talking 85, 86, 87. They'd eaten up yeah. all the heels for Hogan. They'd stolen all of them. There was nobody left that he hadn't touched who was left out there except for. Not many, yeah. He had yeah. beat everyone from Andre to, you know, uh, John Studd to. So who was know, left? Uh, so who was left? Yeah. Brody, yeah. Yeah, there wasn't. Uh, I can't think of any off the top of my head. You know, there was uh, very few that they hadn't chewed up and spit out. You know, so exactly. So that's why eventually, I think it had to came come to pass. But also, as Johnny just said, eventually, uh, that 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 marriage was not made in heaven, and that marriage probably had a divorce in it down the road. But I think they both would have known that going in. They said, "Hey, we each get a year or two out of it. We each make money out of it. Well, what the heck? That's not a bad deal. I can live with that." And uh, it would have been business, and that would have been it, and that would have been fine. Yeah, I, I'm sure that uh, they could have. Uh, I think I honestly think they could have got uh, several years out of it, and if if Vince well, but, was uh, letting Frank go to Japan or have some yeah. outlets, then uh, it would have probably be been good, you know. Well, I don't. I don't think. I don't. And and Barbara, you might correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think. Frank would ever agree to anything if it would have interrupted his uh, Japan thing and what he was doing there. I don't. He wouldn't have let anything interrupt that. I don't no, because that was his number one. Yeah. That was his number one uh, show, and that treated him good and paid him right. And after the few little hiccups he had over there, it was getting to be a pretty smooth path over there, and that's what he protected all times was the Japan because he knew whatever happened in the States was news in Japan the very next day. Yes. It was funny when uh, when he was here going in and out of St. Louis, there was a movie called Escape from New York. I don't know if many people remember it. it was yeah, I remember, hear, uh, yep. I remember hearing of that. Yeah, Kurt Russell. Well, and Ox Baker was in that movie. Well, that original <laughs> spot was supposed to be Brody's. And, of course, they they were they filmed in St. Louis. A lot of the stuff was filmed like three blocks from where our wrestling office was on Locust Street in downtown St. Louis. And uh, when they were looking for somebody to be this monster bad guy, they came to us, and the first one Sam thought of was, oh, let's call Brody. 
And I think they, if I remember all this right, now we're looking back, wow, do I want to really think about this, 35 years? Ooh, gosh. But uh, they had the date set, and that was right about the time, either the first or I guess it was like the second or third trip he'd made to Japan. He'd gotten over like a million bucks the first time. And he called Sam, and they they, they had a little, I, I heard parts, but I heard one side of it. And, uh, you know, Sam understood, and he said, that's, that's fine. We'll find somebody. That, that's okay. Yeah, I understand. Which, again, was one of the reasons probably why we got along so well in St. Louis. He understood what was happening in Japan, and that was important. And, of course, Muchnik and Baba had a great relationship, too. So Brody then went to Japan, and this is the next person we happened to come across name-wise, face-wise. They wanted somebody, a visual character. Well, it was Ox Baker. So Ox Baker ended up in Escape from New York, but... Uh, had the booking dates, the dates been different in Japan back in that time, that could have very easily have been co-starring Frank Goodish, Bruiser Brody. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But wow. also, Stallone, for one of his movies, was after Frank, too. I think it was over the top. It was one of these movies that he was doing. You know how he liked to have big guys in his uh, movies? And I remember taking phone calls from his uh, Stallone's management company several times, but it was the same thing. It interfered with Japan, so Frank said no to that too because he said he didn't want anything to interfere with Japan because he knew that sometimes to do something, you lose out on something that is guaranteed. So he... You know, so he'd had several offers to do something, but every one of them kind of just, you know, was the Japan trip. So, no, he would not do anything to jeopardize Japan. And, you know, we go back to old legends and old, you know, how people started in the business and how they were treated and how they were brought in. And, you know, of course, the dungeon in Calgary is famous and, the, you know, the different places around the country where guys broke into this business. But... You know, here again, we're hearing that about Frank, and the bottom line was, and, and when Stan comes on, he'll 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 agree with us on this that Stan and Frank were so loyal to Japan because they knew that's what that was home to them as far as what they were doing in this business at that time. Again, you got to remember this is during a time and change in the business. The business is changing some, you know, however you want to say it, it was going left to right, whatever it was changing some. And Japan was still the same market for that gimmick and for that taking that fight to the ring night in and night out, and they knew that, and that's how loyal they were. And I think that goes back to saying, you know, the guys that taught them and started them, and then you know, Barbara, you saying that now you're hearing so many guys like myself that took Frank's advice to the hilt and used it their entire career and, and a lot of their life, and and that's because. He was passing that thing on that was passed on to him, and it's just like you know, writing this book and and uh, uh, Mr. Matizak writing this book and telling his side from the 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 office there in, in St. Louis is telling that side of him too that that you don't hear because you, you do hear the bad stories about Frank and Stan and a lot of the independent guys out there that would say no to people. Oh my gosh, they said no to somebody. <laughs> they were taking care of business, and I think that's a that's an admirable uh, uh, place to be in life and to be remembered for right there. Well, again, it, it, he, it, go ahead, Barbara. No, I was just going to say, he put his fans first because he knew if they left and had a great time, they would be back. 
and that was who he thought, what would the fans like? How to get them back in the building, maybe get a few more back, get a bigger house. And I think that and everything that he did, he he had those fans. And now I can see that it must have worked because all these fans, and some of them are just little kids, and he's not been around for 26 years, and all these people that come up and will tell me stories, and some of them are just getting into it, had never seen him wrestle or anything, but had been there as a kid or heard their parents. And I, it worked. Whatever he did, he did, and the fans remember today. And I think all you guys know this. All of us recognize this. You can teach a lot of things about wrestling. You can get him in a ring. You can tell. You can show. Find out how to do an arm drag. You can find out how to do a drop kick. But you can't teach charisma. You nope. got it or you don't. And yeah. Frank Goodish uh, had charisma. Yeah, it's, it's uh, not enough guys too. You know. It's, well, well, uh, I think I think too. You know, again, I, I think that cream rises to the top. All them old cliches and stuff. You just know it, and and and. When he brought that fight to the ring every night, again, the people knew he was coming. It was no hesitation. There was no doubt. There was no he wasn't gonna he wasn't gonna run a sweep around the right end. He was gonna run the ball straight up the middle. Green Bay Packers right up the middle. <laughs> right up the middle. Three yards and a cloud of dust and he was gonna make it. And that's what he brought night in and night out and and, and you can't uh uh again you you can't duplicate that. It was just part of, like you said, his charisma, his being, his his persona. When you know, as Barbara said it, when he left and became Bruiser Brody, the the big guy at the wrestling arena. When he was that persona, there was no doubt. And uh, uh, you never saw him drop to a knee and beg to somebody. You never saw him. You never <laughs> saw him do any of those things that were cliche for that time when they did that and and I, I I admired him for that and he and he did it night in and night out. He might smell like a jar of tiger bomb rubbing himself <laughs> down and getting and feeling good when he went to the ring now. He sure might have smelled like a bottle of tiger uh tiger bomb but uh uh he got the job done and and that's that's what this business is about and and the other thing I got to add right there when you're talking about he wanted to make the house better and get more people there and sell it out and do all that. He wasn't just doing that for him. He was doing that for everybody on the card. And the boys, yeah, in, the back, the boys in the back knew it. They don't understand that if the house is bigger, he gets more money, but everybody gets more money. Absolutely. Yeah, I wish there was more guys like that. Uh, you know, business would be a lot better today if there was, you know, or you know, doing it all for the business, you know, just for themselves or or whatever, yeah, and, you know. And when we ran a lot of independent cards here around St. Louis, I was working for McMahon from 83 on, but we were also running independent cards, and Frank kind of got into it, and we, we found a good friend here locally, Herb Simmons, and used his license. And about once a month we'd come up here, and uh, we'd get cash up front and everything, and we'd have a little deal with, two or three promoters, and we'd have a weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Saturday, Sunday, something like that, as Barbara would remember. And like Johnny, probably especially, you made a lot of rides all over Illinois and Missouri with him, and you'd talk in that car, and it was amazing when you could settle down, 
You know, it's 2 o'clock in the morning, just got a hamburger at a truck stop, and God, was that hamburger bad. Ugh. But, uh, you know, you'd be talking about the things, the knowledge of the business and the knowledge that, that I learned. I mean, I learned talking to him and everything. And one of the things, is just throwing it out there now and tying it into Vince McMahon and how wrestling has changed to become whatever it has become. I remember Frank saying back in that day, he says, whoever has control of television, will make professional wrestling what professional wrestling is because the kids that are growing up then, they're going to be getting gone and they're going to be going away. The guy who has television will be educating the new people. And they'll think, well, that's what wrestling's always been. They'll never have heard Fritz von Erich. Who's that? They'll never have heard of Stu Hart. Who's that? They'll never have heard of, of uh, Dick the Bruiser. All they know is John Cena and Yo. people like that. And, and you know, Frank picked up on that right away that if Vince had control of the TV – which, of course, is what eventually did happen, that he would determine what professional wrestling is. And Vince happens to feel it's a television production that just happens to have the wrestling name attached to it. Well, that's the way it's going to be. So that's one of the the many things. And, and I think all that, what they call him in Japan a lot of times, the intelligent monster. Sometimes yes. I come out there. And yeah, when you do the interview with him, I mean, you know, he, he was a great interview doing the interview with because had to be paying attention to stay with him because he's going to come up with some things. You better throw some good softballs and curveballs out there because he's going to be. We're going to be working together on the interview as much as you guys are working in the ring. So, uh, smart, uh, intelligent, charismatic, and. Uh, and it I sounds like he would like, have been a a great guy to like be in Vince's office right now. You know, with his intelligence. Oh, he'd have gone crazy. He'd have, he'd have, and he'd have his vision, you know, day. and he <laughs> sounds like he had a great imagination and. Oh, he did. He probably, he probably would have been a, you know, an invaluable asset to their office. Just kind of uh, having uh, been there and done it, you know, and yet it sounded like he had a great vision of things, you know. And he, yeah, I, I, you know, let me throw one question out to Barbara, and then I'll get out of your guys' way. I don't want to. I don't want to get. No, uh, no, I, I, no, I, I want to just I answer just... the question about Barbara, though. If he, if he were still here. And this is something we've talked about, so I'm kind of cheating here. I'm, I'm throwing Barbara a softball, but it's okay. She deserves it. Where would he have been? Would he have been in wrestling? Would he have been in politics? Because one of the things he and I talked about even was starting a sports management company. And this was back 87, 80, early part of 88. Frank and I talked about starting a sports management company working together where he could work with the athletes and you know, I was I knew the office and the writing and the and how to do the uh the writing type stuff, the marketing type stuff. We could do something like that. But there was politics, there were a lot of things. Jesse Ventura became the governor of Minnesota, so let's not snicker here anywhere. Well to say that Frank Goodish couldn't have been a senator. Or a no, house but of you have to yeah. You have to remember he had already formed a corporation called mm-hmm. it was called Brody Athletic Management Done as B A M, bam. Athletic management. It had T-shirts. It had cards. It had everything. It was a fully functioning corporation. Just you know, just before that, he had bought a wrestling ring. He was working with a professor at the UT there in the University of Texas in uh, San Antonio to write you know skits. And he was he was even thinking about maybe going around schools putting up a wrestling ring and talking to the youth about the dangers of what they face in life and thinking that for someone like him talking to these people, they would understand and maybe listen. 
and doing it in a way that they could identify with and had also bought a piece of land, 45 acres, with a little river running through it, that he was going to build like a boys' town, you know, like camping. You know, had the river, fishing, everything. And, you know, have the ring there, bring boys that maybe are at risk and bring them out there and have a little camp. And, you know, because sometimes it just takes someone to care to change a person's life. And this was already set up. So, yes, he had great things that he had planned in his future before everything happened. And it was already just starting. So, yeah, as far as being with Vince, I'm sure that that possibility would have been there. But somewhere down deep, maybe I'm wrong, but somewhere down deep, I kind of think there might have been a little bit more in his future than just Vince McMahon. So yes. I just throw that out there. Oh, yeah. yeah, he was looking at life after wrestling because he knew, you know, you're big, you take a lot of bumps, your body starts you know, your body starts shutting down. You, you know, you can't take bumps when you're 70 years old. <laughs> now, don't tell Terry Funk that. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, I know. I, yeah, I, I know. I, I, I saw Terry in the... Yeah, okay. But before... But Larry, before you go, I, I want you to say, Larry and Herb Simmons runs a little show, still like old-school wrestling, that has had a lot of write-ups done and out there in uh, the St. Louis area, runs it, what, once a month or once something? Once a month, unless we pick, up, we pick up a spot show here and there, but once a month, yeah. Have a little, they have a little TV show. Uh, Jim Cornette wrote a wonderful article. He had gone there. I think Ox Baker has been there. Paul Orendorf has been there, right? Axel Duggan. Yep, and all, all these people. And this is like the old-fashioned, how it used to be in the old days. And I, they had invited me down, I think it was a couple of years I was down there. And, mm-hmm. and it was so weird because they, well, yeah, they, they kind of put me to work. So they put me up. Oh, to... Barbara tried to give a chair to a wrestler and tell him to hit somebody. Can you believe that? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but but the, thing, the thing was, to make the story short, they still chant Brody. I mean, yes. the weirdest thing, they still chant Brody. And yes. to fast forward, and this was still, they do that in St. Louis, at the show on Saturday night when it was announced for the 50th anniversary of the, the award for the Cauliflower Alley Club, they started chanting Brody. This is Dallas, 26 years later, and the crowd was chanting Brody. Yeah, you, you know, you could plan that. You can't, you you guys, you just can't plan things like that. It just, if it happens, all you can do is just get on the horse and ride. And uh, yeah, we're so fortunate up here. I mean, we have a building seats about 300 people, and we put about 300 people in it every time. Try to concentrate on on the wrestling as I grew up on it, booking it as as I grew up booking it, which really isn't that much. It's not that much more complicated. I think it's simple, honestly. But nonetheless. Uh, you know, there's so many people that remember Brody, and of course Herb Simmons is a huge was a huge fan of Frank's, and uh, that name will always come up. Or if there's ever any mention, Hacksaw Duggan was there, and uh, Herb did a little interview with him in the ring. He says, "How'd you first start carrying the two by four? And he says, "Well, actually, he says you you may heard of this guy. He says it was Bruiser Brody started me doing. The next thing he knows, half the people there are yelling Brody, Brody, and he says, "Yeah, okay, you know him." He says, "Well, he says I was breaking into the business." 
and I, I, I didn't know how to get people's attention when I came out, and Brody says, ah, just grab a two-by-four so you can clear people out when you go to the ring. Swing that two-by-four around, see if they remember you. He says, I did that. I've been doing it ever since. He says, that was Brody's gimmick. But as Barbara said, the people just started chanting, Brody, Brody, Brody. And, uh, yeah, it's a neat feeling. And, and when Barbara was there, they chanted it, too. That's why when she, she gave Ron Powers the chair, Ron, of course, was one of the young guys that got to know Brody a little bit up here and uh, was had tremendous help. And I'm, Johnny's going to laugh at this. He's now wearing a mask and is calling himself Red River Jack. Uh, keep that in mind. Uh, it's a little gimmick we're doing. But, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, it's. It's truly fascinating, and uh, I think the world of him, and I think the world of Brody. Hey, you guys have a tremendous talk about him all you want. When Stan's there, please give him my best, give him my love. I'm sorry, he's a man that I didn't get to get to meet more than I did, and thank you so much for letting me on to be a part of this. You guys do great. Yeah, Barbara, thanks. get healthy. I will, promise. <laughs> Larry, thanks, thanks very much, so Larry. Much. Uh, I greatly appreciate your perspectives and uh I, I look forward to having you on again. Uh, always uh, fascinating, and we've just scratched the surface with some of the uh, uh, stories and the, all that other from you. So yeah, I, I talk uh, too much. So you, you pull that string, no. and the, the string never ends with me. That's the yeah. Oh, well, that's fine. <laughs> uh, great, great to have you, and I uh, look forward to next time. Sounds good. Thank you, folks. Take care. Thank you. Too. All right, Larry Matizak, the co-writer uh, uh, of the book uh, with Barbara, and and uh, you know again, great perspective of where he sat, you know, in and out when when Frank was going in and out of there, and and uh, uh, Barbara, I know you told me about that trip, you you told me about that trip up there with Larry and them, and in St. Louis, and what a great time you had, and just as we lost. Uh, Larry, our, our next family member, is called in, so I'm going to bring in the ever-so-friendly and my my friend, and I know Barbara's friend and Bruce, uh, with the Lariat unattached tonight, Stan Hanson. <laughs> Stan, how are you? I'm doing okay. <laughs> how are y'all? It's great to have you on. Well, how are you, Stan, Barbara? Uh, I have I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned and worried about Barbara from this last weekend, uh, I'm oh, sure I know. You, 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 yeah, he was with me all times. No, it's gonna, it's gonna be about the rest of the year rehabilitation. So it's going to take a little bit to recover because I can't drive for like probably about six weeks until again wow. I can't use my shoulder. And, and then I, I know all of you know about dislocated shoulders that you have to kind of keep them totally immobile because they can yeah. pop out at any time. I, you know, so I'm. It's just going to be a long, slow recovery. But uh, hey, what can what can you do? You just have to take the punches when you know when they come. But yeah. I have Grin something to look for. Yeah, grin and bear it. But as I said, I have two things to get healthy for: February for the shootout and April for the 50th anniversary of the CAC. Well, I might try to make both of. You need to. You know, uh, I, I must say, you know, I mean, the, the whole time Barbara, when she first got hurt and everything, uh, I was there. And, I mean, there was actually a, a nurse was there, and, and she says, well, I think it's dislocated. And, I, and, and, and of course, we had immobilized it at the time, and she wasn't uh, 
you know, she wasn't just screaming in pain or anything, you know. So all the way to the hospital, I said, ah, you know, it's not, you know, it's not dislocated. It's just probably, it might have got separated. It popped back in and everything. Because if not, you'd be just in so much pain, you know. And she just wasn't acting like she was in that much pain when, you know, she had her arm immobilized. But when the doctor came back and he says, oh, yeah, it's dislocated, I just fell, I just fell out. I felt so bad. I said, golly, man, I, I really had it wrong. But, uh, you know, she's she's one tough lady. She's uh, definitely uh, uh, Brody's uh, wife, sure. Uh, you know, I guess he taught her to be tough or something, man, because... Uh, it was it was dislocated and they had to put her under to put it back in and wow it was it was a it was a quite an experience but I'm glad she's you know going to get and, get some rest. And Stan, you, you and Stan, you told me that uh, you were right behind her and and if she hadn't yeah. fallen and made a noise that you might have just landed right on top of her. Yeah, you know we were all looking at this huge this this whole wall was covered with a, a picture of Frank. And Barbara says, oh, I love this picture, you know. And then she's looking, so I'm looking up. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and we're just kind of walking towards the, you know, the back of the stage. But we never even looked down that there was about like a three-foot three, three foot gap between the wall and the end of the, the stage. <laughs> and she went off. I mean, I was like, a, I was just right on the edge. I mean, I... I'd taken another step, I would have fell right on top of her, probably, you know. But uh, anyway, it was it was a scary moment for sure. And golly, anyway, yeah, we were both admiring Frank. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Hey, well, you know, yeah. we've been talking about Frank, and Larry brought a little perspective and talked about the book and everything. And and uh, I know I know the comments you made about Frank up at the Hall of Fame last year, and. So, you know, give us a perspective of Frank uh, uh, in this business and 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 what he's meant to it. Well, you, you know, uh, we both we both gravitated towards Japan, and uh, you know, he actually was, he was with uh, uh, Baba's office, All Japan, in the beginning, and and I I kind of came up through Enoki's uh, group, New Japan. But then, uh, you know, th- things happened and they started, uh, you know, t- uh, there was kind of a talent war kind of went on and everything. And anyway, eventually, you know, I, I, I went back over to Baba's group and and Frank was there. And, and one of the reasons that I was excited about going there and I actually came and uh, visited with Frank uh, in private and telling him that, this was maybe thinking to go on and, and what he thought and, uh, you know, what the opportunities were for us. And, and he agreed. And, but anyway, so, uh, you know, we, we had great success there and, and, uh, Frank, Frank was just, you know, a great partner. He was, he was for sure, but we were, uh, you know, without sounding too braggadocious, you know, we were, we were the dominant, uh, tag team probably in all wrestling there in the early eighties. And, uh, uh, we just ran, outran everybody, and you know they could keep up. But, uh, but anyway, but Frank, Frank, Frank was so much. He was a lot different to me. You know, he was a student of wrestling, and and I think that uh, you know because of uh, his independent work and because of 
I usually, like I said, I basically stayed in Japan and, and worked for some uh, different groups. Uh, the main, mainstream wrestling promotions, you know, the Georgia or different places like that. But Frank, for uh, quite a bit of the time, he, he was on the independent circuit. And I think in in that sense, he, he really, he became really in tune to, to wrestling and, and he was a thinker and, and he, he thought, I always felt like that he was one of the guys that probably had one of the better minds for wrestling and how to promote himself first and foremost, but also promote the wrestling business and draw, you know, and make money for independent promoters and, and himself. So I, I always felt that Frank was uh, really a cut uh, on the cutting edge of, of uh, how to, how to do the wrestling business. Well, you know, they, they, uh, uh, Mr. Matizak asked Barbara a question about what would Frank be doing today. So I'm going to ask you that. If if Frank was still with us today, what would he be doing today? What what would you see him uh, really getting into? We know that he would start looking at starting a, a management company for athletes and different things. What what would you see him doing today? Well, I'm just going to tell you what he what he told me he'd be doing. Okay, you know, this is way back, and he says, you know what. I started in the opening match, and I'm going to end up in the opening match. <laughs> in other words, he he'd be a, another Terry or Dory Funk. You know, he he would he would, I don't think he would he really loved to go out there and uh, you know to be able to uh, perform. And uh, he loved loved wrestling. And uh, I, uh, you know, I don't know if he was joking when he said that, but uh, anyway. Uh, I think he 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 did he did love the business and he he loved getting into the ring. Whether he'd be on the opening match, he'd probably be on the main event. But that uh, he was just saying that uh, you know the, the whole circle. If you stay long enough, you know you you can work your way back down too. But uh, sadly and, and to I, say, he didn't get that opportunity. And and I and I think too the the fact that he like Barbara said he had. So many people have said that he's said things to them that they've used their the rest of their career, their life, and he's sort of been a mentor. Uh, I think he would have always found some way to give back. I, I really believe that because of uh, the, the the respect he had for it. Yeah, I, I I agree. You know, I mean, I think uh, you know he 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 liked a lot of the you know the, the young guys that come along. Uh, he was always there to help help as you know we got we got help too along the way and i think that uh you know he he did give certain people some great advice and you know uh obviously he was a student of the business so i think a lot of people respected him in that way yeah so i, I and i don't want to i don't want to sure uh throw you under the bus but you and stan were or, or you and frank were roommates can we just have a story or a or a lesson from that time or something? Well, you know, we uh, we did we uh, down in Baton Rouge. Uh, we kind of shared apartment with uh, Luke Brown, uh, you know, uh, Grizzly Smith's partner, and uh, and we we all kind of healed into a, a, a ten flag small at the ten. Well, 
Well, it was right next door. It was actually right next door to the tent plant. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's right. It was right next door to the tent flag, so you can imagine what it was. It, it was a step above at that time, probably the, uh, you know, the, the Alamo Plaza. But, uh, anyway, it, uh, we, we, you know, we, we were really tight. We weren't making any money to start with, so we, we, we really had to, and I think, think because of that uh tightness monetarily we we just uh you know we we kind of gravitated together and we were both looking to try to save money even if we're only getting paid you know 40 bucks you know we we try to you know put five of it away you know so anyway that i think that's what kind of got us together but one time frank was uh he told me years later that he was over in, in Japan. I mean, uh, it wasn't Japan. It was uh, someplace else. Uh, it, it could have been Australia or something like that. And he ended up, uh, you know, he was in the dressing room, and, and he, you know, he he, he wore these uh, kind of you know shorts. You know, they weren't actually underwear shorts. They were they were just kind of gym shorts. The old short, you know, short kind of old gym shorts that they had back there and, and uh so Tokyo you know, we, the Tokyo Capital ones? <laughs> it could be, you know, but uh the anyway, he he was saying he says, Yeah, I mean he looked over at, at a dressing room uh, in the dressing room and there was somebody over there and he says, Hey man, those those are my shorts and he goes, What? He the guy says, What? And he says, those are my shorts and I says, No, Stan Hansen gave me these shorts. And he said, "Well, I know because those were mine. He, he had mine. So, so you know, we just, uh, you know, we interchanged clothes and we drove down the road together. And you know, we just, uh, you know, it was a unique time. And we were both young and dumb and and uh, did no fear and uh, used to run up into the up into the stands and do things that you couldn't do today and." And it was extremely dangerous back then, but I was real blind, and and Frank didn't care. So you know, it was just uh, you know we were uh, we go up there and we did a lot of stuff for Bill Watts and uh, in that Oklahoma territory. That you know, guys used to say, "Hey, you guys are really going to get hurt sometime." But you know, we were just too excited and thinking, you know, we'll just go out and take it to the limit and uh i think that's where we kind of grew close together well those were uh i know when i when i got there in 77 and you were there boy those were those were full buildings and and uh uh everybody i was just a punk kid and and i was making more money than i thought i could ever make and and i was just i wasn't even a part of it i was just there trying to learn and uh, uh, but those were dangerous times d- during that time. But at that time, there was a lot of great security in a lot of those buildings as well that we were in. in it was, they, they had great. They had great security. I mean, uh, you know the, uh, uh, you know there's. I mean the the people in the, the security in New Orleans and the Saint Bernard pra- Parish. Uh, they they Lafayette, ran the building out there. That guy, yeah, that guy that, what was that sheriff or whoever that was a big wrestling fan in Lafayette that really took care of us? 
Yeah, well, I mean, Jimmy Kilshaw, you know, the, yeah. uh, he was like the sheriff of uh, Baton Rouge or deputy sheriff or something, and he was actually kind of in on the promotion that I always understood. But but I got a quick story. Uh, one time uh, they were calling uh, Frank Gorilla, Gorilla Goodish, you know. I mean, of course, he'd get all mad at it, you know, and everything and get mad so we were in St. Bernard one time, and we were in the ring, and it was before, and they started bringing these bananas and started, you know, throwing <laughs> bananas up into the thing because of Gorilla Goodish, right? So somebody threw this big banana up, and and uh, and he went into the ring, and Frank, you know, he was all mad at it and everything, and he went to stomp it. And at the same time, I saw it hit, and I went to, you know, just like to kick it out, you know, kick it out of the ring. And when he stomped down, I kicked at the same time, and I caught his foot. And I, I sweat, and instead of sweeping the banana out, I, I caught his foot, and the guy took his foot up, and he took a big bump back. And, I mean, the people went crazy. They just, I mean, we couldn't have timed it. If we we tried to do it, we couldn't do it again in a million years. It's just the timing was like Frank went back on his back. Of course, he got up and hit the ropes and everything, and everybody was going crazy, but... It was something that wasn't planned, and it was just the perfect timing. But uh, anyway, there's a lot of stories like that, I guess. I I, I, I said earlier, Stan, you weren't on yet, but I said earlier that uh, the first time I met Frank, he, uh, they told me to wait at the TV station in, in Shreveport after taping the morning shows, and uh, uh, Frank Goodish was going to come back and pick me up. And I said, well, how will I know who it is? And they said, oh, you'll know. He's driving a white 240Z, I believe it was at that time. <laughs> yeah, that's right. yeah. Did you and him ride in that car together, the two of we you? We did, man. We were we were overlapped about, you know, <laughs> about a foot, you know, our shoulders, you know. I mean, but that 240Z, you know, in fact, he drove that car, you know, so much, you know, at that point in time, you know, he had to go to the chiropractor. I mean, both our backs were were bad from riding that in that 240Z, and after I think he took it back to San Antonio or something, he never rode in a territory again ever. After he quit driving in that 240Z, he rode with somebody. He went in there and didn't have a car. Yeah, when he'd come to Dallas, he'd ride with me, and and because uh, uh, he'd just fly in on that was after love. Love uh, Field was open with uh, not Brandon, Southwest. but the, uh, Southwest, and he'd fly yeah. up to Dallas and go to Love Field, and we'd travel in and out of there. And and uh, but that's how I met him. And I know me and him that first trip was to Jackson, Mississippi, and I sat over <laughs> on the passenger side, and part of my back was on the door because there was there wasn't a lot of room in that front seat. I, I know it. There. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I tell you, that two forty Z. Man, and it was bottomed out too, man. There wasn't no the shocks. The shocks were just all, right, all the way down, you know. It, it was hard on her backs for sure. But, uh, it, yeah, it was sort of like I, I sort of thought there was going to be one of the mechanical arms come out and help him get out of there because of the way he sort of curled in and out to get in and out from behind that steering wheel, you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Well, well you know. At that time, you know, we were trying to look just as nasty and as foul as we could. You know, we we were just, I mean, he had the big, curly, you know, kind of big fro. It wasn't a fro, but it was just big curly head of hair, just naturally, right? And 
big old head of hair, and I had long, and I'd, I'd been influenced by Terry Funk and Dick Murdoch, so I'd been bleaching my hair, and I had this long hair goatee and everything, and, and uh, one time Frank, Frank says, golly, you know, after like, he says, man, I had this knot in my head, you know, it's it's been bugging me for, you know, about a week, and so finally somebody in the dressing room was like, here, let me feel that, like, they went in there, and they, and they found this knot, and they started pulling on it, and it was a big old wad of gum. <laughs> somebody had thrown it and it stuck in his hair for about a week you know <laughs> oh god I, I don't want to forget that he said golly I've been washing my hair at the shower and everything <laughs> I don't know anyway that was funny uh, <laughs> big water gum in there <laughs> yeah we were pretty nasty I must say <laughs> I wonder, uh, Barbara, do you know how many miles he put on that 240Z he had? A lot. A lot? He always used to say that the uh, car wore him. He he didn't know. He wore the car. He had to put the car on him because it was so small and he was so big. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wow. Wow. Uh, you, uh, yeah. I, I, I don't want to get off Frank right now, but... Uh, your your son uh, does he does he resemble his dad any? Does he have some of his? Does Jeff have some of his uh, uh, features or mannerisms or anything? The eyes. There there was a picture. Somebody did an article, Fighting Spirit magazine, and a UK magazine had did an article, and I had. I was kind of like a guest columnist, and I sent over a couple of pictures. And a couple of pictures I sent over, one was of Jeff and one was of his dad. And you could it's the first time I've seen so much resemblance, because it was when uh, Frank, of course, didn't have any beard or anything. It was before he got into wrestling. And just the way that both of them looked, you could, you knew that it was father and son. Wow. <laughs> Intense eyes. Wow. Yeah, I, I I think they really got that they got that kind of forehead and look, and uh, you know they just they had the same eyes like Barbara said. It's I think uh, I think there's definitely a resemblance there, you know. Yeah, because the eyes, Jeff's eyes are so express expressive. You know exactly what he's thinking without him even having to open his mouth, and that was like. Uh, Frank as well. I mean, he could look at you and shut you down with his eyes the way he looked at you, and you knew, oops, he's mad, or he's yeah. glad. His eyes were so expressive. Yeah, I'll remember. I always remember one night at the Sportatorium, and again, this was during the the early '80s, and my brother was the booker, and and uh, uh, Frank. I didn't realize that Frank was in the office talking with Ken, and. The door wasn't shut, so I just sort of pushed my way in to to say whatever I was going to say, and then realized Frank was in there. Oh, I'm sorry, and turned around. Just as I got in the door, there was all I could see really was Kenny looking over at Frank, and Frank's head sort of coming up out of his lap and giving him one of those kind of looks that uh, you <laughs> two are talking about. And uh, uh, I, you know, I don't know what the discussion was about, but I left and got out of the room, and Frank came and found me, and he said. 
boy, you timed that one right. And I said, hey, I don't want to know nothing about anything that was going on in there. <laughs> and he said, well, you know, it's just one of them problems when they say they want you to do this and you really need to do that. You just got to handle it. <laughs> so I don't know what happened. I'm sure Stan probably knows more about those kind of discussions with uh, uh, bookers like that than I ever did. But uh, uh, I know it was uh, it was one of those looks that I'm sure – Frank gave a few times during his career. <laughs> and and you know what's you know what's so funny about that and the and and how it was like it was different in Japan because uh and Stan maybe you can elaborate when you guys were there you guys you know not necessarily booked your own stuff and did your own stuff but you were part of the part of the decision decision making I'm going to say and and lots of times here, they wanted to leave the main guys out, and I, I I think that was sometimes not fair to you guys. Is that true? I mean, is that sort of a true statement? You know, I think I think they uh, they might have uh, you know asked our opinion on something sometime, but I think the the the, the final decision was always with uh, you know John Baba, you know, or. Uh, mainly that was when Frank and I were together with Baba. Uh, you know, the bottom line is I, I think we weren't afraid, and I think he encouraged us to, you know, say our what we thought if we had some ideas or, you know, what direction or things to do and so forth and so on business-wise. Uh, he he was very open to that, but... I think, you know, there there was a couple of times when we wanted to go one direction, but he thought it was right to go the other, and, and the, bo- the bottom line, he was the boss, and, you know, we respected that, and I think he, I mean, uh, he he respected that we respected that, and and uh, I think that was one of the, the reasons we, we had a great uh, working relationship. But, uh, you know, we really didn't do anything except go out there and, uh, they promoted us, you know, and you just don't get a chance to really get promoted in a way, in the old school way of doing wrestling. Uh, you know, they promoted us, and uh, we took the football and we ran with it, uh, to say, and, uh, you know, and until they, until they, uh, you know, tried to uh, business dictated that uh, we get uh, knocked back a step or something, but uh, that didn't come. That didn't happen very often, and we uh, we went out and took it to them, and we made the Japanese. You know, we got them up off their butts because you know they got tired of us running over them, and you know there was a real fight that went on. Uh, you know, the, after a while, the Japanese got tired of you know two big Texans, uh, you know, dominating the whole thing, and and so you know that's where the real competition came, and even the Funks, you know, we. We had uh, we had some you know some great matches against the Fonks and they definitely weren't going to lay down for us because they were the established team there and so you know when people say it, it's all a business and there wasn't any competition that that's just really not true because there there was always competition on on what direction the match went you know and uh, you know so anyway uh, Frank and I were were. Uh, in a great position there, and I don't think we ever took advantage of it. But I think that uh, I mean disadvantage uh, of the other people. But we were just out to do that, and that's what the Japanese paid us to do. They they were happy we were doing it because we did great business. 
Yeah. Yeah, and 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 those tag team tournaments, I think uh, uh, you and Frank were in were just legendary over the year. I mean, they, uh, you know, like like you said earlier, you know, he said the news got over to the United States the next day. The the magazines, everybody picked up on on the havoc that those tag team tournaments brought and the competition and the, I mean, the best there was. Yeah, I mean it. You know, it, it, it was it, it was great. You know, I mean we. Uh, uh, you know, Frank. Frank was a, a dominant guy in his own right, and you know, I, 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 I was blind and wild, and you know, I just, you know, we just, and, and we were both three hundred pounds, and and we could go. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, very deep, very few people could go like we did, and just keep on going, and just keep on going, you know, and just keep on going, and and. Uh, you know, we finally just wore people down. You know, and I, I, I think that was just from our football days and and the hunger. We were both hungry, man. I mean, we, Bill Watson starved us out for a long time, but uh, no, nah, it wasn't Bill. But it was just, uh, you know, it was just the way it was. You know, we were we were green and not making any money, and we were hungry. And uh, you know, in, in Japan, there was an opportunity to. To, to make a little bit of money, and and uh, we just never changed our lifestyles, and that's why Frank was very successful at what he did, and you know, and so forth. Were 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 you in New York when he was uh, as when he wrestled as uh, Goodish in New York? Were you there well? He, well? He, no, it was actually uh, when he came in. That's where he got the name Bruiser Brody. He uh, uh, Vince Senior gave him the name Bruiser Brody. And he brought uh, Brody in, and uh, he, he actually, I think he followed me in, in the garden. Uh, you know, the, the way New York did back in '76. You know, and Frank came in right after me, I believe, and uh, and so we ended up being tagged up in uh, in New York a little bit too. But uh, you know, I worked with Bruno, and then you know, I think Frank worked with uh, Bruno later. And uh, so that was kind of the, you know, the the way it all, New York ran. But I'm almost positive that uh, it was Vince Senior that gave Brody his uh, the Bruiser Brody name. And and that was before Japan really got started for both of you. Yeah, yeah. This is uh, you know actually Frank after after New York after I left New York. And I went back and worked for Watts, and then Georgia and some other places. Frank, we Frank left New York after me, and he that's when he went to Australia. I'm almost positive he he went over to Australia for a year or so, and uh, you know, and then he started going to Japan for all you know all Japan. And by then I was kind of going for New Japan, and uh, we were separated, but we were going for two different companies, and. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I mean, he he was being pushed in all Japan, kind of like I was being pushed in uh, New Japan. So when this war started, you know, we ended up being on the same side, and and uh, it was it was really great business. People were anticipating, dreaming to seeing Brody and I together in Japan. Well, we were on two different companies. So when we did get hooked up, uh, the Japanese fans were really excited. And and this and, and this is probably just uh, uh, 
a question for me, but like with Abby and let's say uh, Tiger Jet Singh or right. some of the other names that were over there when you guys were. They were the top at, guys. They were the top guys when we were starting to get our push. You know, Jet Singh was the top guy at New Japan and uh, Butcher was the top top guy at All Japan. And then when this war started, you know, then they both jumped sides and, you know, and, and and I ended up jumping too, you know, and everything. So it was just, uh, it was something, you know, it was a great opportunity for us. But the Butcher and uh, Tiger Jet Singh were the, uh, the really the top, top guys in guys when Frank and I started really getting the opportunity to go often. Did, I mean, you guys had great relationships as far as I knew. I never saw any kind of problems or anything with those other two guys. I mean, they were sort of the, they were the old guard, and you two were coming in as a fresh guard. I mean, you guys all got along, didn't you? I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I have, I have great respect for Jet Sane, you know. I mean, he's the one that really influenced me. The first time I saw him, you know, the first time I went for New Japan, I saw him and I mean, I'd, I'd gone to all Japan uh, when I was like green guy, you know, uh, for for the Fox booked me there, and and I saw Abdullah, and I have great respect for Abdullah too. But when I saw Jet Sane, I mean, man, I mean that's he was the guy that uh, lit the fire in me, you know. I saw him how he conducted his business, and I said. You know, I'm a cowboy, and I'm that's the way I'm going. You know, and I, you know, I I tried to develop my own style, and I did. But uh, you know, he was the guy that that really influenced me. You know, to uh, to try to establish myself. You know, and uh, but he was, I mean, he was a great talent, and well respected, and and uh, people still, uh, you know, revere him. You know, well. Yeah, he, uh, he. My first trip to Japan at 18, uh, Leo Garibaldi booked me on a trip, and uh, my first trip, of course, I was prefaced by by Frank to be in shape and go over there and kick their butts and blow them up, and they'll tell you, let's go home, and that was my introduction into how to go over there and be ready to fight them. And then I get there, my first night, I'm in the main event as Tiger Jet Singh's tag team partner, and. And uh, that's quite an experience for an 18-year-old to get that ex- to get that experience, and to, and like you said, to watch Tiger and how he ran through the crowd and bent the sword and did all this stuff was pretty amazing to uh, yeah. see that, and then to see you and Frank sort of push it to that next level over the next seven or eight years was pretty outstanding. Yeah, yeah. There there were some great guys before us, you know. I I think King Curtis, you know, Frank always talked highly of King Curtis and how he was kind of the guy that that uh, really kind of took Frank underneath the wing and and uh, you know kind of taught him some of the you know the ways ways he kind of emulated King Curtis and how he did his business, you know, and then. I mean, there's just a, there was just a lot of great talent, you know, in Japan too. You know, both on the gaijin side, but also on the Japanese side. I mean, they, they had some great, great talent, and you know, you're only as good as your talent. And uh, you know, the guys. I mean, you're only as good as your competition is what I'm trying to say. And and they you had they had great competition. You know, they had young guys and they had established guys. 
And, uh, you know, after a while, you know, they got tired. I mean, they could see that we were, you know, running, running head and shoulders and, uh, they had to fight. And, uh, that's, that's where the, the great competition come in. The Japanese young guys. And then there was the younger group of guys that I was involved with, Mazawa, Kawada, Kobashi. I mean, they were all just great, great, great talent. And it's just, I mean, that it was, it was really good. And, you know, so Frank was involved with, you know, the Fonks and, and Tenaru and Jumbo and golly, you know, and then on the Noki side, you know, there's, uh, uh, actually there was Mida before he became, you know, a big star. He was a young guy and Fujinami was a great, great wrestler. And of course, Anoki himself and Baba. I mean, there's just great talent to work against. And, uh, we were really fortunate to be there and, uh, I think we we just carved out a niche there where the Japanese fans really really got with us and our style. Wow! Hey Bruce, uh, uh, I've sort of I, I'm sorry I sort of asked those couple of questions in a row. Oh you no! Hey, to, uh, I've been. You got uh, something uh, to send to Stan or Barbara? I mean, I I'm just sort of answering questions that I know. No, I've been I've, I've been, uh, I've been uh, fascinated and uh, enjoying the. Uh, the conversation. I was going to ask Stan if was Tori Senior around when you started. I can't remember. I, yeah, I, I, he was actually. Uh, you know, yeah, I, I remember when I, my brother Brett and I we were down there uh, seventy two or something like that. And I remember old yeah, Tori Senior was still alive, and uh, I thought you were maybe just getting your feet wet around that time. Uh, just trying to remember. You know, actually, I started uh, January first, seventy three, but. Uh, in junior, I mean, uh, in senior, passed away. I think uh, in May, May of 70, June, 73, 73, something like that. Yeah, so he was there when I first broke in, and uh, he was, you know, Terry. Uh, I knew Terry more than I knew Dory. Junior, Junior had the strap, and he was traveling around. But but senior and and Dory and uh, I mean uh, Terry, you know, were the ones that got me in and everything. And then sad to say, I was. I was down in Florida for about three months when uh, when Senior passed away. But, you know, the first time I think I, I you know, I got the Noki had a show up in Calgary. And yeah, I, I remember to, meeting uh, you up here. I think uh, yeah. Fujinami worked with Dynamite, if I recall correctly. And yeah, that's I think right. uh, you, you were with maybe Sakaguchi or Anoki, and yeah. uh, they brought up. Uh, I think Tiger Jeet may have been on that card too, if I recall. Maybe seventy nine, yeah, something I, like that. Yeah, I can't remember uh, if Jet Same was there, but uh, I remember, you know, one of there's two people in the wrestling business has probably been imitated more than anybody: Jim Barnett and your dad. You. <laughs> you know, and then I mean, I'd heard about the you know he had the suit on, and he had this crap all over the lapel and everything, and and danged if we didn't, you know, the uh, I mean, I, we got up there on television, and I, the first time I ever met him, he said, "Oh, we uh, got this uh, big." Uh, a guy from Texas, uh, you know, and come over here, and I go in there, and cut. I mean, it's just like, I mean, it's just like I'd heard a thousand people imitate him, <laughs> yeah. and then I looked on his coat, and there was some tight crap on his, you know, on his lapel, and I mean, I fell out, I could I think I started laughing, I couldn't believe it, you know, I said, God, this is, <laughs> this is the real deal here. <laughs> yeah, it is fascinating that... <laughs> 
Barnett and Stu were kind of like, yeah, everyone had a. Everybody, uh, oh my boy, <laughs> or something, you know. They had a, everybody would have an imitation of those two guys, you know. So I remember Stu had that. some rookie on the the phone, and he was giving him shit for something, and uh, this rookie said, I, "That's not you, Stu. That's somebody impersonating you." <laughs> and Stu, <laughs> Stu got, eh, "This is the old bastard himself." <laughs> 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 hey, uh, I, I got to uh, tell everybody we only got about ten minutes left. But I, oh, okay. I, I, I got a, I got a, a brother of the Hart family calling in, and I cannot. Uh, I do have some people holding, and I, I don't know if I'm going to get to everybody. But we well, got let me get off. Hi, Joe. But I, I wanted to ask Stan a question. Is Stan still there? Yeah, I got Stan. I got I got Ross Hart on. Ross, go ahead. I know yeah. you had a question for Stan. Yeah. Um. I know how successful you've been as a tag team for All Japan uh, when Bruiser returned to work for All Japan and um, you guys were there, I think, in 88. Was the plan to use you guys in a singles program against each other? Because that would have uh, done phenomenal business. But was that uh, the plan it that would you have. actually work against each other? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, uh, that Frank was the situation that... Yeah. Yeah, I mean there was an opportunity there, I guess that that we never, I mean it 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 really was never ever superly uh I mean I I don't know of anybody really discussing it, but I think I think everybody from the Japanese side to Frank and I both knew that that was something that could could and would be some great great business, you know, into the future. But uh, you know, of course. Oh, uh, you know, it would have uh, packed uh, the, the sumo hall or the Budokan. But uh, but um, you know, you had such success as a tag team, and uh, we're pretty much unbeatable there. So you know, naturally, it would have been a dream match if uh, if you'd worked with each other, or even done a program, and you probably still could have tag teamed after that. But over in Japan, uh, a lot of the Americans or the kaijin would work against each other and then tag team like you did that with uh, Stan Hansen or with uh, Terry Gordy and Steve Williams right. and a lot of other right, boys. Right. So it would have been, it would have been a natural uh, rivalry, but you know, unfortunately it didn't happen, but uh, yeah. just, just incredible. Did you ever work against uh bruiser, even uh, Oklahoma? Yeah, I did, actually, I, no, the only time we ever worked was actually in a, uh, in a tag tournament. Uh, okay. They're they're in Japan, and he was teamed with Jimmy Snuka, and uh, that's right. Yeah, and I was with uh, Terry Gordy, and uh, yeah, oh, anyway, yeah. And, and we just kind of connected a couple of times, you know, in the whole match, you know, and uh, the, you could you could feel the electricity. To be honest, I can still remember. Yeah, the, the, and, the crowd uh, must have just but, gone nuts if, if they saw you against each <laughs> other. Even uh, even in a tag match, that would have been just phenomenal, Stan. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah, it, it, it's too bad that didn't happen. But in a way, I'm kind of glad it didn't because, you know, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I think we, as a team and everything, we we kind of stand out as a kind of a unique kind of team that, you know, that it, there wasn't, you know, business didn't come into it. You know, we were when we were together, we were really, really a close team, and and uh, you know, of course. Uh, you know, I mean, I think business-wise, it would have been phenomenal business. But I guess looking back, I'm oh. glad that everybody's memory is us together. You know. 
Yeah. You know, you you were uh, monster uh, stars and. Uh, and nobody equaled you for sure. It's just incredible the legacy you had there, and you did so much for the whole industry there, and you really saved all Japan. You know, uh, at a time when it was uh, pretty vulnerable and it lost a lot of its uh, top stars to New Japan, and you and Frank really were responsible for keeping the company alive. And you know, your matches with Baba and Taruda and uh, the Funks were, were just incredible, and uh, uh, they'll always have their place in history in Japan. I appreciate that, you know, I, I, I and, you know, to agree or not to agree, sound like it, it make myself sound too, but I think, I, I think, you know, we, you know, what, one of the reasons that I, I, I actually had talked to Frank and I said, you know what, if, if all, you know, all Japan does happen to go out of business, it's going to be, it's going to be the crap for everybody because then there's no competition at all. And, and so, you know, they, uh, I don't know how bad a shape they were, but uh, anyway, it, uh, if they were in bad shape, uh, they ended up doing great business for about 10 years. So, Yeah, they sure did, know. thanks to you guys, uh, in large part. Well, you know, there was a lot of guys, there was a lot of guys involved in that. It wasn't just just Frank and I, but uh, we were involved in it, and uh, I was, I'm happy to say I was part of it. Well, thank, Ross, I got to tell you, man, I, I wanted to sneak in. I knew you had a question for Stan, and I know Barbara's still on. Uh, uh, Ross, say goodnight to everybody, and then I'll start easing everybody out, man. Thanks for calling in, buddy. Okay, thanks yeah, for having me on. And, uh, great, hey, great, great speaking with you, Stan. And Barbara, you sound great. And I'm uh, yeah. looking forward to, to Frank getting inducted at Cauliflower Alley uh, next spring, I understand. So it's, uh, it's long overdue. Yep, I'm looking forward to seeing you again if you're going to be there. Enjoyed meeting you I, up I, there in, Am- in Amsterdam. Yeah, that that was great in Amsterdam. Uh, I hope to be back there next year, and uh, hopefully we'll see you uh, at the Cauliflower Alley as well. You will. Thank okay. you, Ross. Take care, thanks, Barbara. Ross. You betcha. Thank you. Okay, bye. thanks, Johnny. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks, Ross. I'm going I'm going to get off real quick. You know, just it's great talking to everybody, and uh, it's always yeah, thanks very much, uh, Stan. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Stan. Bye. <laughs> thanks very Barbara. much, Barbara. I uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart for uh, choosing to come on. I loved your stories, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, maybe seeing you at Cauliflower Alley as well. Uh, I'm, uh, it's been a pleasure, though, and thanks very much. Thank, thank you for having me, and I promise I won't take any bumps down there anymore. Hey, and, Bar- and Barbara from from Kay and I, we're going to tell you if you get through your rehab and you want to spend a little extra rehab before the uh, shootout in February, our Acasa is your Acasa anytime you know that. Okay, I'd probably come up a few days extra or something and make it Ab- kind of like a little thing. That would be great, I, I got I got a great bottle of wine from a winery Woo. in California, and uh, we'll sit and relax and have it. Sounds <laughs> wonderful. Thanks, Barbara. Good night. Okay, good night. Good night, Barbara. Good night. Bruce, another Sleep two time. hours. You bet. Bruce, another two hours, and, and just talking about Frank, I know you said you never had the privilege of meeting him, but uh, I, I think now you have a jest of... Uh, uh, yeah, that power that he had. I mean, he really had a power about him. Yeah, I, uh, there's so many. Uh, you know, it seemed like a lot of common ground there with all those names that were 
being mentioned, you know, that uh, I fortunately did have a chance to uh, meet, you know, including, uh, you know, some of those Texas guys, uh, you know, so, but, but yeah, I, uh, I certainly uh, was delighted to hear all the stories, and uh, I sort of feel like I know him now, even though I never met him, you know, I, you know, and I can see why he's so uh, well-respected and revered, uh, even to this day, you know, he sort of has an iconic status, so. Yeah, and I, and, and I do I do want to take a, just a moment and apologize to a couple people that held for a while. I'm sorry I didn't get to them, but uh, listening to those stories, and I hope we asked the right kind of questions that everybody really enjoyed hearing and, and knowing the answer to, because, again, like I said earlier in the show with Bruce, uh, uh, in my mind, the two gentlemen that we, that we talked about tonight and, and the gentleman that came on, Stan Hansen, the two of them were the real independent guys that took this business, respected it, and took it to a different level, and and uh, made their mark. I mean, if you want to take, you want to put a watermark on professional wrestling or a or a barcode or whatever you want to put on it, and you don't include Stan Hansen and Bruiser Brody, um, it would like uh, using the word dungeon and not talking about your father. I mean, it just it's. It, they they go together and 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 again I've am very honored and proud to get to know Frank and Stan and 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 called them both my friend throughout the years and and uh, it's just an honor being around guys like that and and I really believe that the the elder statesman that brought them in and taught them the right way to do it is what had them teach the young guys they mentored the right way and the way to do it much like your family has passed on the craft it's something that's being a lost art and it's a dirty shame because the great people are out there in this business we just don't know enough of them yet yeah i appreciate you saying that and uh, i might uh, add next week you know i'm delighted that you're going to be uh hosting with us again next week because we're we're doing uh the 70th birthday tribute to another Texas legend next week, uh, the great Terry Funk. So we got a, and a I, myriad and I think, of. I think he said that if that if that if we could get him flown up to Calgary, that he'd do the show in the ring with you and both in tights. <laughs> <laughs> Any, anything that Terry says, I never I I never know whether it's. <laughs> Whether he's shooting or not, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to next week. You know, we got a, a ton of uh, surprise guests coming on. You know, I won't mention who because uh, I want it to be a surprise to Terry. But uh, it should be a, a a phenomenal show next week again. You know, with the Texas theme again. With uh, you know. Terry Funk and and friends, you know. So I'm I'm really looking forward to that as well. And I I, uh, I can't thank you and all the other guests we had on tonight enough for, you know, it's a really fascinating uh, conversation. And uh, I hope some of the listeners out there uh, enjoyed it as much as I did. Hey, and I got to tell you, you know, one of these nights we're going to have to do a show with just a few of these historian-type people, that uh, Larry Matizak and that uh, uh, the Shires man from Minnesota. I oh, know, yeah, Tom uh, Burke. 
Yeah, from, Tom uh, Burke. We need we need to have two of those on one night to tell those stories that so many people don't know. I mean, you know, I I had the privilege of doing the show with you and with the Shires man, and and uh, we spoke here on the phone a few days ago, and I told him about my opening career up in Louisiana under a a, a fictitious name, Johnny Boyd, and and sure enough, he went back through his files and found pictures of me in those magazines or in those programs Whoa. back then at 18 years old with a full head of hair man i was rocking a full head of, of a mullet of some type and uh i was proud to see those pictures so we're gonna have to get some of those guys on oh yeah there's another guy i don't know that you know him johnny a guy named lance russell or something I don't know him. I don't know him. There's another gentleman. I, I don't know him either. I'm told he's supposed to be like 90.